episode, I sat down with master's students from the University of Buffalo studying conservation. We discussed application to the program, university life, and the internship and networking process. It was lovely to chat with a group of students who are so dedicated to the legacy they're leaving at their university. Be sure to check out their wonderful Instagram at Buffalo State underscore art conservation. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Elizabeth, so much for having us. Um, my name is Emily Mercer, and I am a second year at the Buffalo State program, and I am specializing in photographic materials. Hi, I'm Anita Day. I graduated last September in 2021, and I specialize in paper. And I'm currently the fellow at Yale Center for British Art. Uh, I'm doing a Crest Fellowship there with Soyeon Choi. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Liz, for having me here today. Uh, my name is Josephine Wren. I'm a current first year at Buffalo, so the class of 2024. Um, and I'm still deciding on my specialty, and it's a close call between paintings and objects right now. So before we get into your program specifically, I'm really curious to know what brought you to or interested you in conservation. Um, how did you find out about it? All of that. Oh man, okay. So I first learned about conservation in third grade. Oh my God, <laughs> that's early. Um, so I was at the Smithsonian American History Museum, and I remember seeing um, conservation on exhibit. Um, they were working on the flag Old Glory, and my mom made a comment that she could not get me away from this exhibit. Fast forward to undergrad, um, I was in a museum studies program, and we read an article about the conservation of that flag and memories it sounds so cheesy but memories just like rushed back and i remembered enjoying enjoying it while i was young but i knew i needed to learn more about it and so um i am from yorktown virginia originally and um, colonial williamsburg is extremely close to me and so I had reached out to one of my professors. She gave me a connection to Colonial Williamsburg, and that's how I got my first internship so that I could really learn what a, a conservator was. Emily, I have to say that that's probably like the youngest age that I've ever heard anyone be interested in conservation. So if there's something to win, I mean, you just want it. <laughs> I, I, I know. Very, very young. I, I didn't understand what a conservator was, but I just um, they had this platform that glided over the flag and I and seeing people work on it. It was just I loved what I saw. So. <laughs> So poetic. I love it. Um, for me, I went to the University of Maryland in Baltimore County and I studied biological sciences and most of the students there are pre-med. So I was in a sea of all these pre-med students and just knowing that that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I loved science and just thought, oh, I can't do art as like an actual 
life thing because that's always been what was told to me. Um, so I started studying ancient studies. It's more of like history of the ancient world. Uh, one of my professors there could see like that I would struggle and that was, she was one of my advisors and she advised me like, oh, have you ever heard of conservation? Cause that's kind of science and art. So for me, um, it was just this perfect blend of art and science and craft and um, hand skills all in one. And it, as soon as I heard about it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Um, I found out about it. I went on this like exchange program to the Shanghai Museum with my local museum. I, I'm from Los Angeles. I got to see the conservation lab there and it was specifically um, like East Asian paintings and paper based. And it was amazing. But at that time, I thought you had to be like a chemist to go into that field. So I didn't actually consider it as a career option, but I found out about it early. And then in high school, I kind of knew like I liked museums. I liked um, art. Um, I always liked looking at paintings and works really close up in museums. And um, I went to Scripps College, which is also in Southern California, and they happened to have an undergraduate major in art conservation. I think they're like the only program on the West Coast that has it, and one of the few programs that does an undergraduate degree aside from University of Delaware. And it also just kind of worked out that it was a good option for me college-wise, and they had the major, and I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for it. And I remember that when I toured there as a prospective student, they were talking about that major and program and they're like, yeah, our students get to work on the pieces on campus, like the bronzes. And I, that always like stuck with me. So it kind of all fell into place. Let's talk a little bit about the application process you mentioned already. It changes uh, year to year possibly. So Emily, who's in her second year, it's different now than it was when you applied. And Josephine, you're in your first year. It's different from how it was for Emily. So Josephine, why don't you tell us a little bit about the application process for you because you're the most recent. Sure thing. So um, there are a number of requirements and on the Buffalo State College website, there's a tab of requirements and it lists out everything very comprehensively, but I'm going to try to kind of summarize uh, what you need. And it kind of overla it overlaps pretty well for the requirements for the three, two to three other programs in the US as well. Um, but you need coursework or undergraduate coursework in art history, chemistry, studio art. Um, for the chemistry, you need a full year of general chemistry and then a full year of organic chemistry. Aside from the coursework, you need um, a personal statement, and that's a thousand words. So, you know, kind of your personal essay, you need a curriculum vitae, um, and you need three letters of recommendation. They prefer two from um, your former, like, intern supervisors, whether conservators or allied professionals, anything related, and then a third reference, uh, preferably from an academic reference. I feel like those are the main things. Oh, you also need a studio art portfolio. All the schools kind of, they require um, two separate portfolios, but with Buffalo, they will require you to submit that studio art portfolio 
um, in the first round of applications, and that will differ from the other programs. So it is divided um, into the, two different rounds of applications. So all the stuff that you mentioned is what you have to do first, and then you get yes. conditionally accepted. And then what happens next? Is there an interview? Yes. So I, yeah, I totally should have mentioned that first. There's two rounds in the application process. This first round is like everyone's putting that in, submitting that in. Um, and then after that, if you get invited for an interview, that's kind of the second round, you get more information to the logistics of that. Um, and then the portfolio, the second portfolio you send for the interview is your conservation portfolio. So like summarizing any treatments you've done, any other projects, any um, rehousing projects you've done, preventive conservation, anything in collections management, digitization, archives, anything related, um, you can kind of format that into a portfolio to present. So the conservation portfolio is separate to your studio art portfolio. Studio portfolios, like just your studio art pieces, and that gets submitted in the first round. Um, it, it gets, it's kind of a lot to remember. So we often get a lot of questions around that and we'll try to do like portfolio days. We kind of did our first one last year and we're going to try to keep that going. And we do Q and A's, try to answer questions for prospective students. Um, cause it's a lot. Um, and then one thing that changed, uh, Buffalo used to require submission, of the GRE. Um, it's like a general standardized test we take here for graduate programs throughout the US. Um, we they we don't require that anymore. So that's kind of a nice, a nice barrier to remove, kind of pointless and it costs a lot to take and a lot of stress and studying. So you don't have to do that anymore. And I think the other programs are following a similar trend. You didn't say anything about needing to have um, like logged hours of conservation experience, but obviously oh, in order yeah. to have a conservation portfolio, you do need right. something. So how does that tend to work out? Yeah, sorry. That's another, see, even for, I'm like here and I, I can't even remember all, like everything because it's, it's so much. So it's, it's an overwhelming process. Um, so yeah, the hours we don't require a set amount of hours, um, but it is recommended that you get some experience beforehand, just, you know, kind of get acquainted into the field. It's helpful just to figure out, you know, like, is this really the field you want to do for the rest of your life? Because um, it's a big commitment. So it's recommended you have some level of experience, maybe a couple internships. Some people come in with more. Um, but the program also recognizes it's it's difficult to get those positions in general. And on top of that, it's difficult to get paid positions when you're pre-program or pre-graduate programs. So. Just to add on, the, the school also recognizes that in the time of COVID, things are changing. And, and I know when COVID first happened a lot of people were worried about having in-person opportunities to get their hands um to get their hand skills and they really made a point to say that they understood the the conditions of life going on right now they recommended um some different online classes um aic our professional network they've put out different opportunities that we can do um, as pre-program students to be more involved in the field and to increase hand skills in different ways kind of thinking outside the box the school understood that that things were changing. 
I'm really glad you mentioned that because the um, a NAGPIC, which is the Association of North American Graduate Programs in Conservation, it's a mouthful, but that association, when COVID kind of happened or first began, um, they put together a document of alternatives um, to all these different ways you can kind of develop those skills that are otherwise um, hard to gain, like if not in person. I talked about this a lot when I was doing stuff for students that were applying to our program and I was advising them, like, if you haven't ever gotten your hands on actual objects, it's more important to just be able to show that you have hand skills and however, get creative with it. I love getting creative with it. Like if you do calligraphy or weaving or anything like that, it's a great, you know, at home example of hand skill. Anita. I just wanted to say, like, I think it's great, or at least during the time of COVID, that the schools kind of were forced to think about how the discrepancies of like how students are coming to the programs and how to compensate for those. And I felt like it was kind of like bubbling before COVID, like schools were kind of thinking about it. But I think COVID and like the subsequent like big burst of social justice that happened really made these schools focus in on it because it's like if not now when you know we're not in in person you're kind of forced to think about it and I think it's wonderful that they've started it I don't think it's completely there yet because it's still leaving out a bunch of students who are interested who want to apply it still seems like Josephine said like it's very overwhelming even when you read it at first Um, so I think this like a really amazing first step. It's just, I I hope these little changes are are really going to get us there. Yeah. And speaking of, um, you know, making it more uh, available to students applying, uh, did anyone go through any loan process for their education? Do you know if the school provides any? Every, I think every cohort kind of has a different payment schedule. Like for me, 88% of my tuition was paid for. And that was told to me when I was in my second round of interviews. So when I finished my interviews, they kind of tell you all about the funding. And I think that's a horrible time to tell you about funding because you're kind of blacking out. You're like, oh, I've just finished interviewing. Literally, Um, I literally blacked out during that time. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like really hard to digest what they were telling me. Um, But Thankfully, every semester, an anonymous donor came in and kind of supplemented that tuition for all of the students during that time in Buffalo. So technically, I've never had to pay tuition. I don't know how it is now. I think now it's not guaranteed for three years. And maybe Josephine has more information about that. Emily, you can. (laughs) Yeah. So from from what I understand is. Every year, a certain percentage will be covered by the school. That percentage is subject to change when you are accepted, but they will let you know the percentage that um, is guaranteed. And then um, there is always the possibility that you will have to out of pocket pay the, the other percentage. 
I will say, though, that I had a, a similar experience to Anita in that, um, yes, a percentage of mine was covered, um, but then the other percentage through the very hard work of um, our faculty and staff, they have been able to provide that other percentage of funding. So I have yet to pay for um any tuition at Buffalo. Um, and then on top of that, they always give a living stipend as well. And when you are at Buffalo State for your first and second year, you are given 19000 for your living stipend. And then when you go off to um, off to your third year, it does increase a little bit more. So um, we're provided a living stipend and then tuition is that um, whole percentage deal that I discussed. Sorry, I just wanted to mention like healthcare as well. Um, when I was accepted to Buffalo, it was assumed that I could get healthcare through the university. And when I got my acceptance, I called the university and I was like, okay, like you have healthcare, great. Then I'm gonna accept Buffalo. Um, and then a couple months later, they stopped offering healthcare to graduate students. And that was kind of like a very abrupt, right before school started kind of deal. Um, but again, administration up at Buffalo, they really worked hard to try to find a loophole, a workaround, and they did find one. So some of my classmates, they went through New York State open market and got their health insurance. Um, I have a more complicated health history. So I wanted something that was more encompassing. Um, so I got it through the SUNY, which is State University of New York Research Foundation. Um, so it is there. It's just um, something that think about. You have to pay through your living stipend for health insurance. And then in uh, any of your cohorts, are there any international students or is it more a program directed towards Americans? <laughs> no international <laughs> in the class of 2021. Emily? Yeah, so I am in the class of 2023, and we do have a student from um, China right now. And then um, I know that um, the most incoming class also has some international students. Josie, you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. The incoming first years, um, there's one student who's from Vietnam. Um, I think he completed some undergraduate coursework here in the U.S. Um, he's been living in Vietnam for the past couple of years. OK, yeah, I mean, I'm used to almost exclusively international programs. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask because a lot of our audience will probably have that question. There are about three programs in the U.S. for master's that you can do for conservation. So what interested you in this program specifically? Yeah, um, so I was very unsure about what specialty I wanted to go into originally. So I decided not to look into the UCLA Getty program just because I wasn't sure if, you know, I wanted to go into um, archaeological conservation. Um, I also was not personally interested um, in obtaining an art history degree from NYU. So I was really interested in um, Buffalo and Delaware. I thought they were both fabulous programs. I am 
very privileged to say that um, Buffalo offered and I was accepted on my first interview. Um, so that's how I came to, to Buffalo. Anita? Um, very similar to Emily. Uh, I did not apply to UCLA or NYU, mainly because of money. Uh, most of those programs, you still have to pay out of pocket. Um, at the time of when I was applying to Buffalo, um, during the application process, it was still kind of at 100% in my mind. Um, uh, and same with Delaware. I knew that their tuition was almost like fully covered. Um, and then between the two, Buffalo for me, as least like how people described it was that the students were in more independent. Um, they had more hands-on opportunities. There was a lot more science hands-on opportunities. Like you're actually dealing with the instrumentation and running your own samples. Um, and I'm definitely a hands-on learning individual. So that kind of appealed to me. Um, and I also had heard so much about their imaging department and how strong their students come out learning imaging. Um, and that's something that I wanted to also learn because I didn't have that much experience with imaging. Um, and yeah, that, that was most of the things that I felt strongly towards. But I applied to both programs, got into Buffalo. <laughs> that's where I went. And Josephine. Um, before I, I have a quick question for you, Anita, when you said um, you still had to pay out of pocket for the UCLA and NYU programs, did you did you mean, could you elaborate on what expenses you meant? Because it was just my understanding that you don't have to pay any tuition and you get a stipend for those two programs as well. Yeah, I think it was mostly that the stipend didn't reflect where you were living. Yeah. So. That, okay. That's, that's what I thought you probably meant. I just wanted to double check. Yeah, no, thank you for helping me clarify that. Yeah, um, NYU and LA are very expensive places to live. And sometimes the stipends that they were showing just definitely meant that you have to get a loan or you have other financial support, which I didn't really have that kind of support. So yeah, yeah. thank you. Okay. Yeah, I was just making sure. I was like, is there something I don't know? <laughs> Um, but to go back to your original question, um, I I kind of have a different like personal take on it. I guess I applied everywhere, um, so I applied to all four programs, um, and I applied in twenty yeah in twenty twenty, yes twenty twenty. The years are like melting into each other. Um, I will say UCLA, the UCLA Getty program, they accept applications every other year and they're the only one that does that. So that year they happen to be taking um, applications and most of my pre-program background was in objects. Um, and there was a good amount of time where I thought I was like for sure gonna be objects. So um, in that time I was like, I'm gonna apply. And like, for me, I kind of didn't want to wait, I knew how difficult it was to get into any of the schools. Um, and I was like, I'm just gonna go for whatever. And honestly, it was like, wherever it takes me, I will go. <laughs> um, if I had my pick, I think I would have preferred the Buffalo or Delaware program because it's three years. Um, you get to have a choice. You get the first year to explore the different specialties. Um, it worked out really well. <laughs> and I'm super happy to be here. Well, I think that that's a perfect segue into talking about the structure of the course. So 
as far as I understand, your course is three years long. That involves two years of quote unquote academic education and then one year of internships. Can you tell me about how those first two years are structured? Yeah, sure. So like the first year, you're kind of doing a little bit of everything, which is really great. I think both Emily and Josephine kind of touched on that, that you try out all of the specialties, you get a treatment in each. So that's objects, uh, painting and paper. You also have science classes and a full year of exam docs. So that's just all first year. Um, And they do it semesterly. I know some of the other programs kind of do block schedules, but at Buffalo, it's all semesterly. Uh, For science, you're learning polymer science and then a full semester of microscopy, um, which is really helpful. I've been it's been helpful in my fellowship now. And then in your second year. You've declared your specialty after first year, and in your second year, you're kind of focusing on that specialty. You're still doing another full year of exam and documentation. Um, You're learning about x-radiography and a lot more 3D photogrammetry in that second year. And then for science, you're doing inorganics and preventative, and then you're just really focusing on your master's project. So you get a specific project that focuses in your specialty, and it can either be treatment related. It can be research related, um, but you have that full year to really dive deep in that and um, additional treatments in your focus. And then your third year, you go off and you practice what you've learned and um, you build more of that network uh, by working and you're kind of just like being introduced into that world. I have a specific question about your second year. So you say that you choose a specialty and obviously first year, everyone in your year is working together. Second year, are there classes that are specific to your specialty where you're working on objects within that? Yes. Yeah. So I was paper. So I I specialized in paper and I had a paper class. We had seminars where we read together like articles and discussed them. And then we would have lab time where we're specifically working on treatments. And the professor is there for us to have her advise us on certain treatments that we're doing. But we're also kind of left to alone to do those treatments and kind of experiment on our own. Emily, you had something to say? Yeah, I was going to describe it as... um, each day of the week still has um, like a, a primary specialty or, or class that we're supposed to attend, but we were able to be a little bit more flexible with attendance. And so, for example, as uh, photographic materials, I'm under the paper umbrella. So on Thursdays, it's paper day. And so, of course, I would tend the Thursday paper lectures, but let's say on Monday is objects day and I could attend the objects lectures if I felt they pertained to my needs. So I attended um, some glass workshops just because of cased objects. I attended some metals um, seminars. So I was at school the full week, but the classes that I attended were based on my needs, except for the day that was deemed paper. I always, no choice, showed up to that one. And can you tell me kind of what the lecture looks like? The average day is usually broken up into three classes. So we have two 
lecture-based hour 15-minute classes. And then we have a two-hour lunch break. Um, they wanted us to have a solid amount of time for lunch so that we could use this for meetings or um health appointments as well. Um, sometimes it's hard getting in self-care <laughs> during graduate school. Um, and then the afternoon would be a three-hour lab. So every day you had a lecture component in the morning to a uh, two-class lecture component and then a lab component in the afternoon. Okay, very nice. Um, then I have questions about the internship. So I'm sure it varies depending on what your specialization is. I myself am a paintings conservator. So it seems that all of our internships tend to be for multiple months. Uh, and you know, if you're given a year, you probably are going to take that whole year at one place, maybe two. I imagine it might be different for objects or paper, but how does that work out for you? Do you do your internship year at one place? How do you get placed into it? Do you have to reach out? Is it organized by the school? All of those questions. Yeah, I remember the start of third year or really it's the start of second year, they kind of introduce how to look for an internship and what it involves in terms of like the academic parts. You have to write certain reports every few months. We were told that they prefer you to do it in one location because they're looking for you to have or to gain that work experience. And that's easier at one location where you can really feel like you've made an impact there and that you're learning the ins and outs of not only your position in that institution, but you're also learning about the institution's insides as well. Um, and that comes with time. So they really didn't suggest you breaking it up. But having said that, there are plenty of students who have done six months here, six months there, whether they want to do a big institution and then break it up with a private institution, they wanted to see the differences. So there are some supports in how to find internships. Sometimes the professors have um, a network that they can pull from. From my own experience, my paper advisor had asked me, okay, what are you looking for in your third year? Um, and I would list kind of like my, my checklist of things that I want. And then she gave me good advice of like, to contact or um, things like that. And so mine was pre-COVID, um, but then COVID hit right before starting our third year. So a lot of my classmates, um, their plans completely changed. Some of them had to completely change their location and everything, but I think all of us really had great experiences at the end, somehow, some way. Yeah, Emily, I'm sure for you now, COVID has, is maybe having an impact on your plans for next year. Yeah, well, it it's very interesting when I was reaching out to places some sometimes they were accepting students and sometimes they weren't accepting students. So it was very challenging. But I actually noticed that more for my summer internships. Um, so part of your question was, you know, do we reach out or do our professors reach out? And for the summers, they are not required by the school. So it is strictly us communicating with those locations to form that connection and that potential 
initial internship. Of course, professors will um, provide feedback or or suggestions, provide contacts, um, but it is our responsibility to uh, kind of cold email, as you would say, um, cold email these locations. And and then also, I just wanted wanted to include um, uh, I wanted us to discuss the 20 day option. Um, so a lot of our professors for third year recommend that we stay somewhere for the full year if we can, like Anita was talking about. Um, but then if we do have something we want to research or experience just a little bit of, um, we have a, a 20 day option where we can contact a different location and ask for a 20 day placement. This would allow us to go somewhere somewhere, experience something particular or research something, and then return to our original third year location. And you said that it isn't required to do internships in the summer, but I am American, so I know that a lot of the culture is to spend your summers still doing internships. So is that something that everybody does? Um, for the most part, a, a lot of my um, a lot of the students in my class, everybody had a summer internship their first summer. Um, the second summer, um, some people are, some people aren't. If it's close to their third year location, like I have a summer internship um in DC, but my third year is also in DC. So that will only be one move for me. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, people were only taking advantage of the second summer if it kind of fit within um, their, their third year timeline. Um, could each of you tell me a little bit about your favorite course? Uh, maybe we start with Josephine because she's in her first year. So it'll be limited to just the first year classes. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that question. It's, uh, I, it's really hard. If, I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be my paintings course just because, um, when I came into it, like I didn't have much paintings experience. So I was really looking forward to just learning about that already. Um, but also our professor, Fiona Beckett, for that class this past two semesters, she's really great. Um, our first semester paintings, you spend the lab time um, reconstructing um, a gilded egg tempera wood panel painting. Um, so that is really fun. You can do whatever you want. It's really, really great. And then the second semester, you're focusing on uh, your treatment. So the full treatment of one painting. So I've just really enjoyed my paintings treatment and learning about it. Um, and it's been really fun, but all the courses are really, really fun and great. And you learn so much. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> Emily. I don't have a favorite class, but a favorite experience. Um, the school hires a, um, photograph conservator to come to the school three times a semester. The paper professor went through Buffalo, so she has a level of understanding conser uh, the conservation of photographs, um, 
But when the professor doesn't specialize in something, they usually hire an outside conservator to come work with that student in that specialty. So the school hired Gary Albright three times per semester to come work with me on um, my photograph treatments. And so I always loved his visits. Um, But of course, that's related to my specialty. I think outside my specialty, I think preventive conservation, that class has been really interesting. I think when we are given an object, we always, you know, look at the damage, look at the degradation. And it's kind of interesting to learn about what causes it. So now when I receive objects, I can understand like what condition this object was most likely put through in order for it to be in the condition that it was given to me. Um, So just kind of a a detective work, you would say. (laughs) Um, Just to tack onto that a little, um, the first years also get to have Gary Albright. (laughs) During, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned the outside lecturers. So they're in first year. We also have Gary, um, our resident photo specialist. We have him three times throughout our first year, like during this exploratory year. We also have someone who specializes in book conservation come in twice throughout the year. Um, And then we have a variety of other uh, guest lecturers from outside. Um, The past year, it's been a mix of in-person and virtual Um, and that might change going forward. Um, we've had someone who specializes in like taxidermy and leather, um, come in. That was really fun. That was in person, people in marble, um, mosaics and just a variety of other specialists come in. So it's, it's really great. And Anita. Uh, hands down, no hesitation. My favorite class was exam documentation. It's like the one class that I feel like made me finally have that hesitation of like, okay, this object, what can I see? Um, And gives me more pause instead of just like jumping right into treatment and just like trying to do something for the objective, just really looking at it, like, does it really need intervention? Um, And just documenting is that, is that the treatment that it needs? It's just a a documentation of kind of a timestamp of how it is right now. Um, And it's also the skill that I've used the most since being um, out of school, even in my third year, uh, I was at the National Museum of Asian Art and I set up a brand new uh, digital studio there and found kind of like the passion in imaging of how powerful it is. It's it's such a great tool if you can afford a lot of the um, equipment that goes along with it, but there's also so many budget-friendly ways that you can use imaging as well. And so now being at Yale, um, I actually built a digital studio from scratch for the paper lab here. And just kind of going through the motions of um, Juan Juan Chen is our exam documentation professor at school. And I definitely did a lot of phone calls to her during this, this time. But now that the imaging studio is all set up here, like it's been so powerful for the project that I'm working on and for so many other applications within the lab and to have it just like right off from our lab that we can walk in there, do all the imaging that we want. Um, it's just, it's, it's so amazing. I could go on and on about 
imaging. So you're talking about imaging. Are you talking about setting up a photo studio for documenting the artwork? Yeah, so I'm using a DSLR, a, a camera with all of the lenses, and it's a modified camera. So we can do IR photography. Uh, we can also do ultraviolet induced visible fluorescence photography. Uh, and we also have the ability to do infrared luminescence as well. Uh, and we can do parts of the multispectral imaging as well. Uh, and our, our studio has... HSI, MSI capabilities. So it's kind of like I, I, I can play in all of these and get so much information without ever touching the artwork. And all of you have now talked a little bit about some of your professors, but I'm curious as to what is your relationship with the professors? Because I think all conservation programs are pretty small. So I find that the more and more people I talk to, they're quite close knit. So I'm curious as to what the um, relationship between professors and students is at Buffalo. I will say that I feel like second year is when I really got to to know my specialty advisor, Teresa Smith. Um, of course, I got to know her first year, but having some of these, you know, um, classes where it's just me, one other student and her, we we really got to know each other on a on a deeper level in some of those classes. Um, and I feel incredibly supported by her. With permission, we all exchanged phone numbers. So we have a, a paper chat. Um, <laughs> um, but I also know that um, I can email her and I know she'll email back quick. If, um, if I'm really worried about something, I know I can text her. Um, we have uh, the paper group. We are small, uh, but we have gone to dinner together and talked about life outside of conservation. I'm very thankful for how much time and effort Teresa has put into to getting to know me. Yeah, Anita, I'm curious because you're the graduate in the group. So are you still in contact with professors? Is it a relationship where you can reach out for advice or networking opportunities? Yeah, uh, my advisor was also Teresa. Um, and it's been nice kind of outside of the graduate program. We've had conversations that are kind of similar to what Emily is saying is like a, a lot more casual talking about everyday things, uh, our, our pets together. Uh, so it's definitely a different kind of relationship than the student teacher relationship that we had at school. But then again, our our paper class was much larger. We had four or three paper students and a book student who was in that paper umbrella class. Um, so yeah, it's been different outside of that. And I've contacted many of the other professors with questions that I've had. Um, like I mentioned, uh, I've contacted Juan Juan Chen so many times um, and texted her and uh, she's always been really a great resource and she's always quick to answer. Um, and she just has like such a wealth of of knowledge that I'll probably spend hours and hours researching something that she'll just be like, oh, I know the answer to that, like that. Um, and I've contacted some of the scientists as well with other questions that I've had on my project. So it's it's great that it doesn't feel awkward to, to reach out to them and ask them these questions. Um, they make it feel like they're they're willing to answer these questions. So I hope it's not annoying to them. 
they encourage us to, to reach out too. I, I just had my last class with Juan Juan Chen and she said, you know, definitely email me, call me. <laughs> so it's, it's encouraged to, to keep that relationship. And Josephine, being in your first year, do you feel that the professors have um, made an effort to get to know the students and uh, support some of the difficulties of that transition? Yeah, I feel very similarly to how both Emily and Anita have described. Um, I feel very supported by everyone. Like there's a pretty good open line or open lines of communication with all the faculty. Um, um, they are like full-time um, staff there or full-time faculty. So, you know, they have their office hours. You can pop in, talk to them. Um, they're pretty available or they're very available by email. Some of them like to text <laughs> as like people were talking about. Um, yeah. And I mean, I honestly feel comfortable reaching out to any of them in any of the specialties or science or Drendren and imaging. If I want to talk about something or need help, um, I think they have made an effort to like get to know us. It's easy to, since it's a small, as everyone was saying, a small class, there's 10 of us in our cohort. So, um, I mean, Drendra and she'll come, she's been coming to our like Friday lunches <laughs> together, which is really sweet. Um, like my class, we all go to the, there's like a $6 Friday deal at our school's cafeteria and Drendra has been coming to like all of them this past semester with us. Um, I remember like our first or our second, third week with Teresa, um, Teresa Smith, the paper professor, she like took us out for like beers and other drinks the after class. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's been really great. Um, we do like try to get together and yeah, I don't know. It's been really nice. It's a nice uh, sense of community. Yeah, among the students, do you all like get along and hang out together outside of class? I know Buffalo is like a small, medium-sized city. There's stuff to do, but uh, I think that it's also kind of a college town. Like University of Buffalo does sort of dominate, especially if you're going to school there. So, um, yeah, do you all hang out with each other? Is it uh, both a friendship as well as a, a grad school situation? Yeah, I think. For me, um, our class, the class of 2024, we all get along really well. Um, we've had like hangouts and get togethers outside of school. Um, I mean, we do spend, you spend like 40 hours a week, pretty near, if not, if not more together every week already in school. Um, but we've hung out like a lot, a good amount outside of that. Um, and we we our class communicates um, through Slack and we are pretty we're pretty like we're all pretty chatty. So like we have we send each other a lot of random things on our Slack. We have it organized by channels like random things or like let's hang out or like complain about this here, stuff like that. So I think it's been a good it's a, been a pretty good dynamic and I'm really glad to have them as my classmates. And um, it's been nice getting to know other members of Emily's class as well. I'm sure she can speak more to it, but everyone in her class is also equally great. Very nice. Always open to talking to us or helping us. We ask them a lot of questions. I think our question, our class asks a lot of questions. So we're constantly going to like the second years for help on random things. We bother them a lot. Um, so yeah. Emily? 
Uh, yeah, my class, the class of 2023, um, we get along so well. Uh, I I couldn't imagine being with a, a better group of people. I, I'm so, so thankful to be with the the people that I, I'm experiencing graduate school with. Um, I will say my experience um, is maybe a little bit different than some of the other classes. Um, when we first came to Buffalo, um, we had COVID and there was not a vaccine. And so um, our our um, opportunity to hang out with each other outside of school um, was more limited. We really tried to stick to outside activities, um, but Buffalo's cold. <laughs> so, so that really uh, quickly limited our options. And so um, a lot of us felt comfortable being with each other outside, uh, but then that quickly became um, unavailable due to temperatures. Um, but you know, we still tried to go apple picking together outside and, um, you know, so, so we adapted, but it, it, it was different. And then this year we all have the, the vaccine. Um, and so it has, um, we've started, you know, hanging out indoors together. Um, and now we can go to each other's homes and feel more comfortable, comfortable studying together, hanging out together. Um, and so we were close last year, but it's been so exciting to get to know these people on an, on a deeper level. Um, so, I think it's really special to have gone through this process with a group of people starting from, you know, we can't really hang out, no vaccine to the progression of COVID together through graduate school. Um, and now we're at a point where we feel more comfortable. We're getting closer. We're forming these friendships and these relationships. And I definitely will be able to text these um, fabulous people years later when I have a question about X, Y, and Z topic. Yeah, speaking of that, Anita, is there any kind of um, alumni network or anything in place specifically for the conservation students from your program? Yes, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, the alumni network is there. It's always been there, but it seems like they are revving up to be more uh, present in the current students' lives. So I think they're going to introduce themselves more, especially when the students are uh, just starting up um, and kind of be more, uh, ha have more of like a mentorship or a mentorship role for the current students students. Um, so as of now, I think it's more of them revving up and, and planning things for the future. But I'm hoping within the next year, especially when the next semester starts, there'll be more of an alumni presence for the current students. Um, and I know that there are alumni board meetings that people can attend. And I think the meeting notes are supposed to be published, <laughs> but it just seems like they're, they're finally kind of establishing themselves as um, a facility or, or a group of people who can really help the 
administration at Buffalo. So it, I'm interested to kind of see how that's going to play out and um, how they actually get that done. At Buffalo, I'm part of um, the EIC group. And so this is um, Equity and Inclusion Committee. And it's a, a group of students at Buffalo State. And I'm really excited that um, the alumni are starting to become more interested in our EIC group and um, wanting to form um, connections. And um, I know um, Lestarsha has really been yeah she's she's fabulous (laughs) and so um she's on the alumni board and so she has been reaching out to us and um trying to find ways to help us and that support means a lot very good to hear that you all uh have good relationships with the people in your program i think that that really kind of makes the experience is the people that you do it with So next, I wanted to ask, um, what happens after the program? So we talked about the alumni network. That's great to have that in place. But do you think that with this program, you spend two years at Buffalo and then you do your internship. So have you been able to develop a good network through doing this program? Kind of like what Emily had mentioned before, like you have your network with your cohort, like the, the students that are in your class. And you also mingle with the students below you and above you. So you kind of meet these like 29 other people that automatically kind of become your own personal network when you're moving through your own career. Like for many years now, you'll have these groups of people. And then with your internships, I would say is where where your network is really growing. Um, I thought it was useful for myself and my my experience that my paper professor had certain network that she had. So if I had a certain question, like for my master's project, I had a very specific question on a material um, that that introduction was kind of facilitated so that I could ask that question. Um, But I think for the most part, like, which is why I kind of liked Buffalo, because I like to go out and do things on my own and not be told how to do it, um, that like you, you kind of have your own future in your own hands. So you can go and dry contact people. And Buffalo kind of taught me that, that if I want an internship, I have to go out and find it and, and email people. Um, and now I do it without any hesitation because I've had to do it for so many times throughout grad school. Um, But at the same time, I know if I need to contact someone, I can always go back to Buffalo and ask around like, hey, does anyone know this person or know who I could contact? Um, So they're kind of a facilitator for the network if I need it. I think I have to echo what Anita said. She she said it very well. Um, I think especially the summer internships where we are responsible for contacting professionals and making that connection. Um, I really felt comfortable reaching out to professionals and um, I, I feel prepared to continue doing that. Um, And so I feel like the, the independence that I also got from this, program is preparing me to go off into third year and and contact people who I might need research questions answered from. Um, So I I feel very prepared. 
Um, yeah, I would love to add on to that and echo what both of you have said. Um, I, I know I'm only like in my just finishing my first year, but I and my class have just gone through that process of looking for our uh, summer internships. And it is a lot of self-initiation. It's you do have to put in a, like most of the work yourself. Um, but I will kind of tack on what we were talking about, about um, alumni. I felt comfortable reaching out to a few people um, who had graduated in the past few years. Rachel Childers, who you I think you work with, is one of them because um, I knew she was at Sral. Uh, Rachel, I believe, is class of 2020. I reached out to someone who was class of 2019. Sorry, not not 29. <laughs> and another person who was class of 2017. Um, I knew I wanted to do a summer internship in paintings to get that experience. So they are, are all painting specialists. Um, and I was kind of looking at their profiles on our website. Um, our department website has like bios. And I was just looking at where they've interned in the past. And I wanted to ask them, I was like, why did you go here for a summer? Did you like your experience? And just questions like that. And I think doing that was one of the most helpful things. And it really kind of shaped where I ended up applying to and where I had my options. And then I know everyone's going to be at different stages with this, but what are your future plans and goals in conservation? Yeah, personally, I I would really love to. Uh, my third year is in um, is at the Library of Congress, and so I will be in the D.C. area. And I would love to continue staying in the D.C. area. I'm originally from Virginia. Um, I also really have a lot of respect for the Washington Conservation Guild, um, and so I want to um, be a part of that network and have that be some of the people that I get to know and communicate with. All right, Anita. I'm currently at Yale, so I'll, I'll finish up my fellowship here. And yeah, I'm looking for a job afterwards. <laughs> um, and similar to yeah, no, aren't we all? Um, similar to Emily, my family is in Maryland, right outside of DC. Um, and it's been my goal to kind of make my way back there. So either in the DC area, um, I also love Philadelphia. I used to um, do an internship there as well. And I really love the city. So those are the two areas that I'm, I'm very much looking into. Um, so places like CCHA, I used to work at the National Archives. I would love to be back there. Um, they have a really great group of um, conservators and facilities too out there. So yeah, those are my wish list places. And Josephine. Yeah, um, I think it's so funny you're like, oh, any specific places? Because I was actually really interested in learning more about um, where you and Rachel are at, uh, um, Sral. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've actually been, I've had my eye on that place. First of all, like, if I go into paintings, um, it seems like a fantastic place uh, to train. I'm also um, really interested in Fulbright Fellowship that's at the Morris House. Yeah, so I, I feel like my trajectory right now, the ideally would be to do, like, a few uh, or a couple fellowships post-grad and then hopefully make my way um, back to where I want to settle down and kind of see what opportunity I can get from there on. 
Thank you all so much for being on the episode today. It was really nice to record with you. Does anybody have um, anything that they'd like to plug? Any upcoming articles, features, Instagram, what have you, Twitter? Yeah, I was about to say, I am personally the person in charge of the Buffalo State social media. I think I will probably be handing it to Josephine, actually. So uh, I just want to shout out our social media, of course. Um, We love when people interact with it, ask us questions. Um, Usually when we do events like portfolio days or Q&As, we try to advertise them on those platforms as well. So if you're trying to be more involved with what we're doing, social media is the the right way to go about it. Yeah. um Yeah. Please follow our Instagram, Buffalo State underscore our conservation. <laughs> I think it's so funny because I also did social media for Buffalo and I handed it down to Emily. Wow, we have three generations. Yeah. I wanted to plug in my small business. I have Agents to Fight Deterioration. It's a small stationary store. Of like Etsy? Yes. Oh my God, I know you. <laughs> yes, this is the very one, Agents to Fight. Agent, yes, it's at Agents to Fight. And you can use that for Instagram. And you can also use that same handle for Etsy. professionals, please follow us on Instagram at ecpodcast and email any questions to ecpodcastxxx at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by Liz A. Bear. Our theme song is by Manet van Veldhausen and Paul van Laar. Our logo is designed by Adler Papiernik. If you liked this episode, please leave a review and subscribe.